Welcome to Tzanidi Aren. On today's episode, we're going to talk about business. Not the first thing you think of when you think healthcare or nursing, but in fact, business kind of runs what we do on a day-to-day basis. And for a lot of us, it can ruin our lives. So let's talk about it. I'm your host, Tzanidi Aren, and I hope you'll stick around to listen. It's the name. It's a deep, it's an ED, a run, it's an ED, stands for emergency, it's a D, stands for department, it's an ED, not erectile dysfunction, a run, that's a nurse. Episode 49, an EDRN is not a business. Welcome to my podcast. It's an EDRN. I'm your host in EDRN. And today we're going to talk about business. Not something I feel was sufficiently covered in nursing school. We're going to talk about the predatory nature of healthcare as a business and how this makes our jobs as nurses a lot harder than it needs to be. And at times causes some kind of ethically dubious situations. But first, uh, if you're new to the show, welcome. I'm glad you're here. I've been a nurse for 12 years. I spent the first few years in med surge, then I went to ICU, then I was a house supervisor, and then I was a nurse manager. Pause for sighing. And you know what? I might talk more about that in future because I think I feel ready to really delve into that. I have an episode about that pretty early on. It's like the sixth episode or something. So you can check that out if you're like, huh? Um, (laughs) But maybe more on that in future. But for the last two, two and a half years, I've been bedside in the emergency department for the first time in my nursing career. And for the most part, I really, really enjoy it and still enjoy it. And yeah, so thank you for checking out the show. Uh, You can also check me out on socials, most of them, whatever, whichever one you're on, you can just search at it's an EDRN. If you're not on socials, you can email me. It's an edrn at gmail.com. So let's get into the show, the healthcare biz. That is what we're all engaged in. All nurses, all providers, anybody who works for a clinic, for a hospital especially, you are in business because so is that hospital. And I know what you're thinking. You're like, whoa, 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 wait, but I work for a not-for-profit academic medical center. Yeah. So do I. And I've managed a nursing unit at a not-for-profit, level one trauma, academic teaching facility, and it was still big business. And let me break down kind of why that is. First of all, healthcare is not only business, it's big fucking business. According to CMS.gov, so the Centers for Medicare and Medicaid Services, which is run by the government, obviously, the NHE, which is the National Health Expenditure Data, which is something I wasn't aware of until researching for this episode, really. For the last reportable year, which is 2022, the national health expenditure, so how much we spend on healthcare costs, grew 4.1% to 4.5 trillion, that's trillion with a T, and that generally breaks down to $13,493 per 
person. And it basically accounted for 17.3% of our gross domestic product. So one of the largest import-export business product, business things. I I keep saying business because I don't know what other words to use. But like healthcare equals money. And when we talk about health expenditure, that is money that's being spent by us, people who live in America on their healthcare, out out of pocket. So, or maybe combined with insurance, but either way, you're paying for it. <laughs> Either through your insurance premiums and deductibles or through your taxpayer monies. We're paying for all of this. 4.5 trillion dollars in 2022. So there's a lot of money essentially to be made in healthcare. Now, not everybody pays and so you think, oh, well, my not-for-profit academic medical center, we don't turn people away for lack of ability to pay. No, you don't. And that's great. I mean, neither do we. But trust me, they're getting their money. So a nationally representative survey conducted by the Kaiser Family Foundation in 2022 found that 41% of U.S. adults had some form of outstanding debt due to medical or dental bills while 24% of adults was either past due or unable to pay these healthcare bills at the time of the survey. So roughly 40% of us have healthcare bills, and then a little over half of those can't pay them. So that's, you know, kind of further fortifies this idea that these not-for-profit hospitals aren't really getting paid, and that's why they're so poor, and that's why they can't afford to pay you a lot of money, right? Uh, wrong. Wrong. Nonprofit healthcare systems. Let's break that down, and let's really look at what that means logistically. So most level one trauma centers, teaching hospitals are nonprofit, which nonprofit by name and nature leads you to think these people aren't trying to make money. They're just trying to break even. And, and this is what I used to think as well. But the fact is they make big money in a number of different ways. We don't refuse. Rather, they, I don't, why do I try to make myself part of it? I, I got to stop that. They, the nonprofit hospitals, which are not me, they don't refuse people who come for inability to pay, right? But they sure as hell get their money. So according to a 62-page report by Human Rights Watch, not-for-profit hospitals chase down low-income individuals for outstanding hospital bills. They chase them down. A March 2023 survey conducted by the Urban Institute found that about 73% of adults with past due medical debt reported owing at least some of that debt to hospitals. So much of the medical debt out there is from hospitals and hospital care. And you're thinking, okay, fine. So not-for-profits and for-profits make money, you know, above and beyond breaking even. Fine. Aren't they entitled to make a buck? You know, they're running a business. They have to make money. That's how we get paid. That's how we get supplies, et cetera, et cetera. Sure. But it's more how they make their money. Nonprofit hospitals, not-for-profits, receive public subsidies worth billions each year, largely in the form of tax exemptions. 
These hospitals also make money off of the debt incurred by the un- and underinsured patient populations that they serve. So first, they make money by claiming that unpaid amount as part of the tax benefit. So whatever these not-for-profits are not being paid, they're billing and not being paid, that amount gets claimed as a tax benefit. So they make it that way firstly. And then they make that money twice by selling that debt to third-party debt collectors. This is all, by the way, if you want to check the receipts on this, which you always should, I will link down in the show notes the report by Human Rights Watch. Okay, Whatever I'm citing, it'll be in the show notes so that you can read the receipts, right? All this to say, not-for-profit hospitals, teaching centers, level one, you know, the ones that are like, we don't send people to collections, you know, for inability to pay. We won't turn people away for inability to pay. And it sounds so great. And that entire philosophy was part of why I wanted to work at a not-for-profit hospital. It's part of the philosophy why I don't work for an HCA. I've never worked for an HCA hospital, one of the largest, no, I think the largest for-profit hospital systems in America. Because you always hear terrible things about for-profit hospitals. Like they just, you know, they put the money first and the patient second. And while maybe some of that is reflected in the care that they give, not-for-profit hospitals are also doing that. They're just not saying that they are. Okay? Like, it's so frustrating. I get so mad and I'm and I'm trying to like not get mad but I'm getting so mad. When I started working at my current hospital a year and a half ago, I remember looking at the hospitals in this area and I interviewed at a number of them and in the policy in the written policy on this hospital's website it says we do not send people to collections. But they do. And the reason they can say we don't send people to collections is because they package the debt from these patients and they sell that debt to third-party collectors who then hound these patients for payments, people who cannot pay. And that is why they went to this hospital in the first place. Because their understanding of it, like my understanding of it previous, is that they will be helped whether or not they can pay. And that's true, but but the inference there that they won't have to pay if they can't is false. These debt collection agencies will ruin people's lives. And I used to think that it wouldn't happen to me because I was a nurse. And although I haven't had personal experience with that because I have always had some level of insurance to cover me, even when I did get sick, I have worked with nurses personally who have been sent to collections by the hospital that they were currently working for. And I have only ever worked as an RN in not-for-profit hospitals. These people don't give up fuck who you are. They're going to send you 
down. They are going to sell your debt. They're going to package it up. First, they're going to claim you as a tax exemption, and then they're going to package your debt and sell it. And this is our American healthcare system. Last thing I want to say, because this is kind of what sent me down this rabbit hole, and it's a bit disconnected, but it's not, is I want to talk about GoodRx. GoodRx is this prescription service. I don't even know. They don't even fill prescriptions. They're just like, you know, you've gotten the card maybe from your doctor, the GoodRx card. It can lower your um, prescription cost. And there are multiple companies like this that offer services to lower your healthcare bills, and you need to be careful. Because GoodRx, and this is just a shining example of even when these healthcare-adjacent companies attempt and seemingly are doing something great, they're not. They're not trying to help you. GoodRx is currently being sued by the FTC, (laughs) has been fined $1.5 million for selling users' personal information, including their protected healthcare information. And who would be interested in that? Who who is buying your healthcare information? Google is buying your healthcare information and Facebook among others. And why are they buying your healthcare information to sell you things? To sell you things. They're going to target ads towards you and they are going to use any of your data they can including private healthcare information. And GoodRx that claimed that they were HIPAA compliant and would protect this information, of course, did not. And they just sold it. And I can tell you right now, I don't know how much money they made doing that over the years, but I bet it's way more than $1.5 million. <laughs> That is a laughable amount for a fine. And it just sucks. Because sometimes in this for-profit healthcare system that we are a part of, we don't know how to operate and we don't know how to protect our patients. And there are times when doctors are ordering all these tests and all these things and I'm like, are you sure that's necessary? And they're like, well, you know, just in case or, you know, we got to be sure. And it's like people are paying for this. People are paying for all of this everything that we're doing. And these patients, I'm sure we've all had, they're experiencing a a crisis, a trauma, but part of that crisis and trauma is them wondering, is this going to bankrupt me? And anyone who's ever gotten really sick, like really, really sick, and I've had personal experience with this that I will talk about at some point when I'm ready, We know how that feels to be scared that this is going to put us out of a home. It's It's just wild. It's wild that in this country, in this healthcare system, you're one significant illness away from being homeless almost. And that's just a fact. And we participate in it every day. And that sometimes makes me want to quit. And now it's time for some tips and tricks. And I got to tell you, 
There are no good options here. There's no redemption to this. This is just an episode about how predatory the modern healthcare system is. Tip number one. Develop awareness. So knowing is half the battle. Know what's going on. Understand why it's going on. Talk about it with your coworkers. Don't hold on to this moral distress. It's not yours to bear. It's not your responsibility to fix the healthcare system. That's the that's the responsibility of government. And yeah, I guess that's all I can really say about that. Tip number two. Know the cost of things. This can be strangely empowering for you and potentially helpful to your patients. So how much does a head CT cost your patient? And do they really need a head CT if they came in for diabetic ketoacidosis? <laughs> you know, like... It, does that? Do you really need to be doing that? How much does that trauma chart cost them? In our facility, we have paper trauma charts, and we have heard through the grapevine that every paper trauma chart essentially costs the patient $10,000 in addition to all the other charges. So that creates a lot of... Every time I fill one of those out now, I'm just like, well, this is $10,000 that this person doesn't have. So that kind of fucking sucks. Yeah. So be aware of what things cost. And maybe if someone comes in and they don't meet trauma criteria, can you just do a triage note? I don't know. It's, I hesitate to say this because it's a slippery slope trying to change your practice according to what things cost. But the reality is, is that person going to be much healthier if they're bankrupt? Likely not. Tip number three. Keep patient health information private. I'm going to do a whole episode on HIPAA and HIPAA compliance and PHI and all of that. But just generally speaking, don't tell anybody shit about your patient without your patient's expressed permission. And, I mean, obviously communicate with the other healthcare providers providing care. I don't even think I need to add that caveat. And if your patient is incapacitated, give the least amount of information that you need to. This is not meant to be calloused or punishing to family members who are so scared for their patient, for your patient, for their family. But the point is, that's their health information, and it is not intended to be sold or freely given away, and you can end up being prosecuted for that, even, even though you were doing what your charge nurse encouraged you to do. So just know your hospital policy around HIPAA, and don't be handing out information like it's going out of style. And finally, I have one trick. Ask for an itemized bill. So chances are that at some point in your lifetime, you're going to be hospitalized for something. And you're going to be so grateful for that help. And then when you get home, weeks later, you're going to get many, many bills. <laughs> and these bills are going to be insane, like truly insane. And the one thing I can tell you through experience and through talking to the billing department at at least three different hospitals that I worked at and one that I've been a patient of, <laughs> ask before you pay a cent, ask for an itemized bill. And let me tell you, you, you watch how that bill goes down. You watch how the total amount goes down, and you watch how you can negotiate down other charges that are just stupid. It's, it's work, 
but it's going to maybe keep you housed. So, well, I hope you've enjoyed this episode. If so, please subscribe, leave a review, tell friends to listen, what have you. The business of healthcare is giving ick. I have no idea if if that's ever going to change. So just do your best to keep yourself informed and keep your patients informed. And uh, it's not your fault. None of this is your fault. Thank you for listening and have a safe shift. It's an EDRN is written and produced by me. Our senior editor is me. The theme song is written and performed by, tragically, also me. All views and opinions expressed in this podcast are my own and do not reflect the standards and positions of any healthcare entity that I may or may not be working for. Although I am a nurse, things I say in this podcast are not a stand-in for professional medical advice, and everything you hear from randos on the internet should absolutely be validated across multiple other reliable sources.